0: Start. be real is presented by california college of the arts mfa in writing program getting an mfa at their art school setting in san francisco means you can paint and write design and write and make a film and write you can also just write look for their faculty member leslie carroll roberts's critically acclaimed here is where i walk episodes from a life in the forest out now from university of nevada press and Adam Nemetz, We Can Save Us All from Unnamed Press. For more information, power on your computer and visit cca.edu writingmfa MFA.
1: You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal but for once in your life real welcome one and all to a movie reviewing reappraising genre hopping podcast this is be real on the playlist podcast network my name is chance solemn and i'm noah ballard it's nice to see you my friend we're here of Thanks. course it's
0: nice to see you too
1: with another three movies bound by would you believe it some sort of genre category. No, you want to tell the peeps what our category is today.
0: Movies based on books by Nick Hornby, uh, not movies that Nick Hornby screenwrote, but rather books that were adapted of his writing.
1: Right. Our real topical hook is that High Fidelity, the most famous movie to come out of his writing, is has turned twenty here. I don't at know the end about a
0: boy was pretty famous too.
1: What was the last about a boy conversation or poster of about a boy you saw? High Fidelity has got the legs.
0: Well, at least within our little community here.
1: You mean our little record shop?
0: The record shop in our minds, yeah. And of course, as we're wont to do, starting last week, (laughs) uh, we're going to then spin off this movie adaptation podcast and review the High Fidelity series that is now streaming on Hulu.
1: Great, with Zoe Kravitz in the John Cusack role.
0: So meta that her that she is the daughter of Lisa Bonet, mm-hmm. who plays the musician from the from the original
1: movie. It's wild. Marie de There you go. Nick Hornby, I'm not sure he himself is a household name. He's like one of those people where you're like, oh he but once you look at his C V, you're like, Oh, we did that and that and that. He, would you agree with that characterization?
0: Uh, certainly, on his like the film side of things, and he's also like a best-selling author in his own right.
1: There's also the curious thing of the movies to be adapted from his books include High Fidelity, both Fever Pitch movies about a boy, um, Juliet Naked, which we're discussing today, streaming on Hulu, and Long Way Down. Is that right? Was that For one sure. of one of his books? But then. He didn't write any of the screenplays for any of those, but he's written a no. lot of other screenplays adapting other people's work. Yeah. Wild,
0: Brooklyn. In Education. Uh, I think that's it. Oh, in Education, yeah.
1: Yep. Yep. I think it's sort of a funny point to get into. You were describing the plot of Long Way Down, which is a movie we're not going to talk about to me. And it was kind of like. Four adults of various ages form a surrogate. Oh yeah, form a surrogate family on New Year's Eve or something.
0: Yeah, four people meet on New Year's Eve and form a surrogate family to help one another with the difficulties of their lives. That is also essentially the plot of all of these movies.
1: Well, yeah. I think the 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 point I wanted to make off the top is so like when we think back on like where high fidelity came from, it kinda has that edge to it. Like so maybe a bygone edge of of cool of some kind Or just music knowledge of some kind But these movies, especially as they Pile up through the 2000s All feel kind of ironically like adult Contemporary, do they not?
0: They sure do, they're definitely like The counting crows of right. the Certain era of cinema
1: They all feel like the movie equivalents of Bands that Rob from High Fidelity would hate Now if not then
0: um, But as my therapist From high school once said High fidelity. That movie's got a lot of wisdom in it. Really? Yeah. And I, of course, watched the movie again, like with that lens, and like I don't know if that was the best <laughs> thing to say to an impressionable seventeen-year-old.
1: Yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure sold
0: I... on that as medical uh, advice.
1: Yes, let's talk about high fidelity. All right. So it comes out March 2000. Now 20 years old, as we said. It is directed by Stephen Frears, who we've covered before has just the weirdest movie career, including yeah, like, did like The Queen. Yeah, Dangerous Liaisons, which I loved and you did not. Um, Grifters, another Cusack joint.
0: A lot of British television.
1: A lot, a lot. And then just like a lot of um, like adult dramas that you've never fucking heard of. You know what I was looking at the other day was a. Uh, was Hero, have you ever heard of this movie? No It is a movie from 1992 Starring Dustin Hoffman, Gina Davis And Andy Garcia Oh my god A pickpocket and petty criminal Who anonymously rescues survivors From a plane crash Does not get the credit And grows <laughs> grows bitter About this fact That's like an episode of <laughs> Frasier That's not a movie Right so, bizarre. Anyway, Frears is weird. Uh, he's such a talent, um, but has just a bizarre IMDb. And really like seems to kind of, I don't know, not try very hard sometimes.
0: Yeah. Did you catch uh, Victoria and Abdul? I
1: certainly did not. That's but fine. You, you did? Nor did I. Oh, yeah. No. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, again, almost but, yeah, straight so to it's... BBC content. Go ahead. For
0: sure. So, Stephen Frears is directing, but it's sort of put together by John Cusack's production company, which includes Steve Pink, a longtime collaborator, and Scott Rosenberg. And this one has D.V.
1: Devincentis. Hornby's novel is set in London. The movie transposes it to Chicago. And we can talk a little bit about the show, though not too much. Um, it's all in like the Wicker Park neighborhood in, in Well, of course, because it's like the
0: John Cusack 90s, 2000s movies, Like the Gross Point Blank. Mm -hmm. And it really does show in this one, which is so, I think, beautifully incorporating of the
1: city. Noah, let me ask you a question. We'll synopsize this in a second, but this is a big movie for you. It's one of your favorites. Oh, yeah.
0: Top five, I would say.
1: There it is. What do you feel, 20 years on, is the reputation of this movie? And how does that resemble or not resemble like what it actually is watching it in 2020? I mean,
0: not to put too fine a point on it, uh, but for me and my people, it's more or less like a North star in one, like how in how one comes of age as, you know, a heterosexual man in the United States in the latter part of the 20th and early part of the 21st century. Sure. But I I mean, that's how I kind of remember it it being like very sort of wise about heartbreak and romance and like how we decide what it is we need from each other and from ourselves. And that was maybe not the movie that I
1: ended up watching
0: uh, now 20 years after seeing it for the first time.
1: Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think you could also add to your list of self-identifiers like cranky, intelligent white guys.
0: Cranky, intelligent white guys. Yeah, it's very much like in that... And it's sort of a picaresque, right? It has like these episodes of this unlikable guy kind of like meandering from place to place. Mm -hmm. And different chapters to it that all sort of add up to... I mean, it makes sense that they did adapt it to be a season of television. I think it does work that way very well. For sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, it functions like a listicle. Like, you know, it's all his five most like egregious or his five biggest heartbreaks. Right. And then he takes you through those kind of in the front half of the movie. And then he winds his way back through them to try to figure out what's wrong with him down the stretch. Yeah.
0: Well, so yeah, let's, let's synopsize. Yeah. So he's gotten, so Rob, who's this record store owner and compulsive list maker, according mm. to I am Dr. IMDB over here, Oh my. uh, recounts his top five breakups including the one in progress and that's kind of the hook of both the movie and the show it's like what went wrong in this relationship a and then b will they be able to work it out my store is called championship final i can't fire them I hired these guys for three days a week and they just started showing up every day. That was four years ago. Rob Gordon
1: has a successful business and a dedicated following. I used to go to the double door to hear you spin. You were unbelievable. But when it comes to dating. Hi. Hi. Is this is Penny Hardwood. Hi, Caroline. He's still searching. Are you in or out, Rob? I'm sorry? Are you in or out, Rob? I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. For the right woman. What's your name? Now his search may have ended, but his problems just started. And I like you with Laura. I don't think much of this Ian guy. What? Ian guy! You gotta
0: be kidding me. What do you think? Would you shop at this record store? Are you you one of the mostly young men looking for deleted Smith singles?
1: (laughs) I like it the movie acknowledges that. I mean, the fact that they can be kind of intentionally unsuccessful and not have to worry about the rent feels like a real relic of, you know, that neighborhood sprucing up or something. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah.
0: They're at, like, the front end of the gentrification that then the series will sort of lampoon. Uh, Mm -hmm. But at the same time, yeah. And it's so funny to me because... And maybe it said this in the trailer that you just played. But the trailer like describes Rob's life as having a successful business and he's like the, the first like three quarters of the movie, it's not successful because there just simply aren't the people in the neighborhood to frequent it. So it does kind of chart the gentrification of a specific, you know, few blocks there. But that's not at the surface of this movie, I would say.
1: No. Um, as for whether I would want to shop there, it, it kind of has that classical reputation of any sort of analog media store or library, like through the 90s and 2000s, of like the people working there, if they had like a little more ambition, would just be writers. Um, but instead, they are there to like judge everyone's taste. And so, like, you wouldn't want to go into this store and ask for first of all like anything but you definitely wouldn't want to ask for sort of like the middle of the road potentially in bad taste stuff that I would ask about like you made an all That's about funny. soul joke earlier if you walk can you imagine what would happen to you if you walk in there asking for Billy Joel's river of dreams uh, yeah not anything positive um
0: yeah there's that great scene in there where this middle this self uh, described middle-aged square guy as for Stevie Wonder's I Just Called to Say I Love You to send to his daughter.
1: Right. And Jack Black will not sell it to him.
0: Though he does walk it back if the daughter is in a coma. <laughs> Jack Black. Too good. Top five musical crime perpetrated by Stevie Wonder in the 80s and 90s go. Sub question. Is it fair to criticize a formerly great artist for their latter day sins? Is it better to burn out or fade away?
1: Look at you. Look at you go. Um, You're burning out I've seen this movie 50 times Mm -hmm. That's 48 more than me You've only seen it twice Mm -hmm. I could
0: probably do the whole thing front to back
1: Why don't we sort of like cut to the chase Of like Does it matter that this guy Rob Especially 20 years later Is not a super likable guy. Was he ever? When your therapist told you there's a lot of wisdom in that movie, did you ever or do you feel like people of your generation ever mistook that for being like I
0: should be a little bit like Rob? I, I think I absolutely did take it for that and now I'm having this whole like soul searching moment since I watched it again. Um no, I definitely didn't learn the right lessons from that movie when it was when I was 17, but I do think I was really afraid it wouldn't hold up, especially in the part about um, the girl he dates who then sleeps with someone very quickly after they break up. Yeah. And it turns out there's like been potential sexual violence there. And I was like, oh God, I hope the movie doesn't like really fumble this one. And I, I don't think it does. It doesn't really interrogate it at all, but it just uses it as another moment where this fucking guy like, can't get out of his own head and thinking everything's about him mm-hmm. thus i think adding to a satire, like a satirical side of this movie i maybe didn't realize was there
1: when i was an impressionable young man yeah there's some very smart i think it, you could describe it maybe as lightly satirical but there's some just very smart telling things about the um the impossibility and the Just lack of sustainability of the life Not just the life they're living But the thoughts that they're having Like when that other guy comes in There's another guy who just comes into the record store Looking for this super rare record That Jack Black is like withholding from him And then he won't sell it to him Why? Because he's a geek So it's like you won't (laughs) sell to the squares You won't sell to the people Who are more passionate than you Because maybe they make you look bad It's just like you are you have truly pigeonholed yourself into this wicker park shop that's gonna, you know, crumble down around you, and you're gonna die alone <laughs> with Rob. <laughs> and uh, right, yeah.
0: But there is the implication too that, like, there is something about that sensibility that you will find success. Like, people do frequent the store. Like, he does interact with interesting people. He does end up, like, signing and releasing an interesting record, like, with these two thieves. Mm -hmm. So it almost, like, does appreciate his, like, ethos on some level. But what it really skewers, I would say, is almost exclusively his romantic instincts. I mean, there's that, like, now hilarious scene where he feels so good about knowing that his ex-girlfriend hasn't slept with anyone yet that he goes out and has sex with someone. Mm-hmm. Like it's just such a self, it's like so self unaware right? as to like, don't you, you were afraid of being hurt by her sleeping with someone else. So you're going to do exactly the thing that she didn't do that made you feel so good. And you're going to celebrate it by potentially
1: hurting this other person. And Frears really comes to get it in the scene after, um, Rob and what Maria DeSalle, is Maria Salle Is how you said her name is? The Lisa Bonet character? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they kind of like walk out onto the street the morning after and it's like kind of that classic Sunday morning cityscape of like, and it, maybe it is sort of fittingly solipsistic where like the world slows down and the birds are chirping. There's no people and it's like, oh, did the city just like put itself on pause just for me? It's so beautiful. And Rob should really bask in the moment of having spent a nice night with a beautiful person and instantaneously he's just like what did she mean by yet thinking back on right his other girlfriend and that's clearly a joke when it's like stuck that close together
0: well it's almost like it's a drug addiction or something that like once the high wears off he's immediately down like back towards this like feeling thinking person which is sort of can't yeah,
1: enjoy life for half a second
0: and I think those sort of jarring back and forth moments were more apparent here in the 51st watch Sure. Uh, than I think I had remembered because like when I was a fucking teenager watching this movie, my mood swings were absolutely the same way.
1: Sure, sure. If there's one moment that I think is like actually over the line to where it's kind of like hard to watch, especially compared to the new TV show, it's when his mom calls him because here's a guy who he basically, he just talks about gender politics in a way that we no longer do. I'm sure there are plenty of people who sort of treat people individually like Rob does. And that's like a problem for the way you treat people. But that whole idea of just like chicks, man, like what are they about? Like the true, the true binary, you know, his politics
0: are like still in those early two thousands, kind of like, man, why are women so tough on us? Kind of masculinity you know, like the still in the space where you have like the idiot dad home, like and like homemaker wife sitcom kind of right, set up. Right. And I think it's responding to that in kind of a pointed way, but it's still not fully like not misogynist. Like even the first couple lines of this movie, he's just like, like, to think if like when I grew up, like women would be kinder. Or you say like relationships would be kinder and fem- females less cruel. Mm hmm. And that's definitely like a like a way of thinking that perhaps we've put behind us.
1: And so the, the, when he gets the phone call from his mom, and she's just sort of like, you know, carping at him, and there's no character, and he gets so mad at her. That's that really kind of like drove it home for me. Of like this, unfortunately, is I think a man who like hates women, or at least conceives of it that way.
0: Well, yeah, and you're also building up that that sense that he is either letting down or something his mom for not participating in, you know, dating and marriage the way she thinks he should, you know, there's that whole exchange where he's like, Laura wouldn't have stayed if I asked her to marry me. That's like, not what's done now. She's not that kind of girl. Mm -hmm. And it like, there's nothing really in the way that Laura is on screen that would have you believe that she doesn't want to get married. Sure. And like, Isn't that kind of, I mean, she's someone who, you know, it's a very Gen X movie in the, in the sense that like, it's about what you're going to give up and like how you're going to continue raging against the machine and how you're going to like, you know, buy the suit and tie and like get your professional haircut, you know, that whole new job, new friends, new attitude. I, Where Rob hasn't changed anything, like, but a, beyond a pair of socks,
1: I think that's very smart. It's, uh, I mean, this is like the broad, one of the broader generalizations you could make. But Hornby is is known as a as a Gen X uh, writer, and you just have a lot, a lot of characters in all these movies who have said no to a lot of things and aren't saying yes to very much. Like we reject. Square Baby Boomers, we reject hippies. Like, hippies really, you know, come in for it in all of these movies. Um, we reject super new things. We reject this. But then, like, it's like, all right, so you rejected everything. There's even, like, a line later in Juliet Naked of, like, oh, I thought I, like, cleverly got out of that trap of having a family. <laughs> it's like, yeah, uh-huh. Then, like, where did right. it leave you? How clever was it?
0: Absolutely. Oh, man, Ethan Hawk, the quintessential Gen Xer. Mm. It's funny how, like, there's that that thing of like, oh, I'm John Cusack. I now have to play this role after, you know, like going away from his say anything kind of fourth wall breaking, leading high school, early college guy. Mm-hmm. And that how he ended up in his mid 30s, early 40s, like around here. Of course, then there's like the weird wing of his career of like action movies. The last and- <laughs>
1: 15 years is crazy.
0: It's nuts. It's it's Nicholas Cagean, if you will.
1: Yeah. But with no broad. It's a to lot of straight of. to
0: video on demand.
1: But the the dialogue.
0: The dialogue's great. You gotta love to the supporting cast in this movie. Sure. Most notably Todd Luiso and Jack Black, of course, as like the hapless guys that were hired for three days a week and then just started showing up and that was four years ago. That's great. That's great. I really like the the Monday morning tape where they're like listening to Bell and Sebastian at like level three on the volume and Jack Black comes in and just puts on Walking on Sunshine at 11. And they're all like just, it's incredible. It's so good. And there's a lot of like interesting physical comedy moments where like John Cusack falls over the, the counter. And then Jack Black's little dance where he's like pantomiming, like making love to a woman and just the horror on Dick's face.
1: It's yeah. great. I like it when they describe... Um, Lisa Bonet's uh, artistic persona As post-Partridge Family Pre-LA Law Susan Day
0: With a little bit of uh, Sheryl Crow uh-huh. But you know,
1: black Right <laughs> <laughs> um, A lot of these movies Especially about a boy We'll get to it But I really like when Hornby Acknowledges Like through the little tidbits That like These characters are Kind of like nakedly Fucked up like when When Laura finds his dream job list It's like a very key moment Where like all it the is. jobs that he wants to have Are like it's she's like Number one is journalist for Rolling Stone take a beat From, from, from like 69 to 70 <laughs> yeah. yeah I think it's 76 to 79 or whatever um, Yeah, yeah so like,
0: And then yeah one of them is architect
1: That's the fifth one And (laughs) he's like, I'm not even sure I want to do that one. And she's like, You don't wouldn't want to do the fifth one on your dream job list. And he's like, Well, that's why it's fifth.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and he didn't even have owning a record store like on his list of successful things.
1: These men, if they want to be happy, cannot actually continue to think this way because there's no such thing as time machines, you know what I mean? (laughs) So um and also The fantastic bit of organizing your record collection autobiographically um, I just couldn't stop thinking about how like if we could look at Rob's thought process during that It would look like watching Synecdoche, New York Or some like insane Charlie sure. Kaufman movie Of like this song reminded me of this Like that's, you're you're inches away from a psychic break A very well scored psychic break if you're doing that
0: Gotta love Joan Cusack, too. The, hey, Rob, you fucking asshole scene. Is, She's great. And that'll be on her in memoriam.
1: She's always been there to take her brother down a peg.
0: That's so good, too.
1: Um, Catherine Zeta-Jones is incredibly well cast as, they're like, could we find someone, uh, you know, exponentially more beautiful and interesting than Rob? <laughs> and yes, they did. I wish that even Yala was a little bit better in this movie. It's an underwritten part, and she's not a
0: very good actor, Mm -hmm. uh, which sucks. You know, I mean, in her defense, she's giving out lines where it's like, be happy for yourself, Rob. Like, then we'll talk. Right. Or that's a kick-ass record. But also, yeah, there is something weirdly affected about her that, in moments, can bring one out of the space of this movie. And I think maybe what separates this movie from being, like, an all-time great comedy... And what it is uh, is perhaps that that character.
1: Can we fantasy recast that role? Who would you most want to see there?
0: Kristen Bell, maybe. If it was oh, now, that's interesting.
1: I like that. I, you know, who I think would be really good. Um, who? Because I think she's great in the other movie, and it's not that great of a part either. Is Rachel Vice? Like, I think you need somebody with. Yeah, like a or lot even of like
0: a Rose Byrne. Shh. All these movies have that like Because the Rose Byrne Rachel Weiss character Is essentially the same character
1: Yeah Rose Byrne tends to play it pretty Not quite li- Bridget Jones Rose Byrne tends to play it pretty light though She plays everything pretty light And Rachel Weiss has like a lot of gravity Oh I hate my life oh. And I think you want somebody in that role Like this, this is essentially The woman For whom Rob realizes I have to grow up Like I just have to um, And so that part needs to wield a lot of depth And i do not sure it does as is
0: Yeah Cusack does not have like an equal Sparring partner here
1: Right And that I think is like where some of that imbalance And reputation may come from Of people being like You know Rob's fucked up But like he's pretty cool And part of that is just the construction of the movie Is a little off To really right. drive home
0: cuz she's so like boring and corporate. I mean, probably on purpose, but like that doesn't add that, you know, nuance to character to this, you know, she's clearly being fucked over by this like stupid asshole guy.
1: Right. My favorite touch of the movie before we rate it. The the closing song is Stevie Wonder's I believe when I fall in love with you it'll be forever, which is a very clever uh rebuttal. To the question that Jack Black raises right It's like yes life does not Have to be perfect Or pure or, or ideologically Or artistically pure You can enjoy the song from Talking book and live your life And not punish yourself or Your loved ones or the artists you like For the shit work they did in the 80s
0: That's great I think my favorite sort of Music cue in this One is the sudden appearance of Bruce Springsteen to give Rob advice about whether or not it's a good idea to contact his ex-girlfriends. And even so much so as Rob's saying, like, I'll feel good and they'll feel good. And Bruce Springsteen goes, they'll feel good maybe,
1: but you'll feel good. <laughs> Thanks, boss. So, Noah, um, we unpacked it. We examined ourselves. We thought about what changes in 20 years. This is still presumably a good good for you. I
0: think it's a little dated, but it has a good heart, much like many Gen Xers out there.
1: Oh, that's nice. Um, yeah, I think it's a good good, too. This is a movie that like never meant that much to me, as evidenced by the fact that I've only seen it twice. but it's it's certainly a compelling and, if anything, perhaps too seductive. John Cusack performance Because it draws you <laughs> Toward this uh, this Not very nice man And you forget At least I did Forget a lot of like What he says As the movie Kind of gingerly Forces him to To change down the stretch And just like A lot of funny shit About like What's number three On his list He wants to be a film director Anything but German Or silent <laughs> That's funny The notion that he could be you know, pigeonholed into being a German film director. Like, whoa, I won't, I won't do that. I won't be German.
0: I love, I think my favorite part of the unlikable Cusack is that when he's recounting to the audience, what pieces of information could have been relayed from Laura to Joan Cusack, number one, This is not even multiple parts. This is just number one, is that he cheated on her with another woman while she was pregnant. Like, that's that's tough.
1: That's the kind of shit you forget about High Fidelity. Yeah. It's an interesting one. I want to let that lie there. Um, You ready to move on to our next Hornby movie? Let's do it, bud. About a boy? So here, we transition from the kind of subtle antagonism and the thick neuroses of John Cusack's Rob to a character in Will Freeman or Freeman, very subtle character naming there, played by Hugh Grant, who is essentially like a sociopath, and it's played for laughs. He is a
0: sociopath. So he's this dude living on the fact that his father had this Christmas jingle that he'd penned in 1958 and like this guy's living off the royalties and has been in so much so that he's never had a job. Incredible. So during a one particular gambit in which he tries to sleep with women, uh, he goes to a single mother's support group or a single parent support group, he's the only man there, and tells this sob story about his two year old Ned, who is he's been left by his wife to take care of so he can hook up with this this cute mom. And on a play date where Ned suddenly like can't make it, they're also tasked with babysitting the what, twelve year old Marcus? Right. Eleven year old Marcus. Um Played by baby Played by Nicholas, by Holt? Nicholas Holt. Yeah, baby Nicholas Holt. With the scariest fucking eyebrows and dirtbag haircut I've ever seen.
1: The edges of his eyebrows look like they are trying to run away from his face. They're like seagulls trying to take flight.
0: <laughs> they do look like he is hes going to take flight or something. Um, so they take Nicholas Holt home and they're fused together in that very Nick Hornby way when they witness Tony Collette as his as Marcus's mother attempt to commit suicide and suddenly something looking like the grinch's heart starts beating again within Hugh Grant when Marcus Nicholas Hall like keeps showing up at his apartment
1: I like to think I was pretty cool I didn't mean anything about anything to anyone and I knew that guaranteed me A long, depression free life. Uh. Universal Pictures and Studio Canal invite you to meet a man. How would you like to be Imogen's godfather? Who has devoted his entire life. You must be joking. I'll drop her on her head at her christening. If I get all her birthdays until her 18th, when I'll take her out and possibly, let's face it, you know, try and sleep with her. To himself. I I
0: just thought you had hidden hips.
1: No, you've always had that wrong. I really am this shallow. The thing is, a person's life is like a TV show. Marcus! Can I come in? No. I was the star of The Will Show, and The Will Show wasn't an ensemble drama. Everyone
0: thinks you're weird. I was only trying to feed it. The other one was throwing bloody great loaves at the ducks. Yeah, he was.
1: What do you want from me, Marcus? Mum's at it again. She just sits in the house all day crying. I can't help you with anything that means anything. You could try, it will end up. Childless and alone Well fingers crossed yeah This isn't my problem I'm not your family mate You don't give a damn about anybody and nobody gives a damn about you I've I've told you this before But Hugh Grant's Wikipedia How it like breaks down His film career do you remember this bit No It's you know it's like sort of like From 1985 to 1990 college, College and early roles 1994 to 99 Four weddings and a funeral and stardom and then the greatest Wikipedia heading of all time, 2000 to 2004, adding caddish roles. <laughs> <laughs> and we are oh, right good. in the fucking thick of it with this one, baby.
0: Well, to be fair, he's kind of a cat in four weddings and a funeral.
1: But there's like some pretty hilarious Hugh Grant line readings In this because you're getting his You're getting his inner thoughts. He's not breaking the fourth wall, but you're getting some inner thoughts. Like what is you're trying to take this character seriously and look at him as sort of an heir to Rob Gordon, what are you to make of lines so direct as I could be cool Uncle Will, you know? King of the kids. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. King of the kids.
0: Will's a pretty good character i love when he's listening to them do killing me softly he says and there i was killing them softly with my song or rather being killed and not so softly
1: either (laughs) like here i thought i was just like oh another guy who's going to be sort of tough to root for but like he's a joke everything about him is a joke
0: yeah he's pretty goofy and he's like very Brookstone-looking house is sort of comedic as well. Very much so. Uh, the fish tank with like the looked like little sharks or something. The
1: vertical CD changer.
0: Yeah, the vertical CD changer. Yeah, I think I knew he was a sociopath in the scene where they're driving Tony Collette to the hospital and he's behind the ambulance in his Audi. And he goes, it was terrible, terrible. But driving really fast behind the ambulance was fantastic.
1: (laughs) I mean, these are Patrick Bateman lines of... For sure. Of like...
0: He has to go return some videotapes.
1: Yeah, I am expressing a feeling... Not as a feeling, but as a concept. Like, that's what it is over and over again. He also hits you with, this will be one of the last ones, I promise. That's the problem with charity. You have to mean it. (laughs) It's just like, (laughs) I've been told that my action should mean something. How do I do this?
0: Right. But there is something, just the way John Cusack was in the previous movie, something seductive about his lifestyle right like it seems very neat seems very orderly it almost reminds me of don't hate me for this reference uh nicholas cage's character from the family man sure you know other than he's like a successful business guy and this guy's like kind of a dressed up bum but something about like you know putting his his increments of time into like 15 to 30 minutes and thinking about I love that. I'm going to try that tomorrow and see how many units I can knock out.
1: Social distancing is a great time for like for units.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, and he's hilarious. Like he, there's something charming about the fact that he's so funny. Like if he wasn't so funny, it would be repugnant, his yeah. behavior. But because he's like aware that it's bad, it's like not as bad.
1: If you're bothered by any protagonist who the point of the movie is lying for sex, it might bother you. But I think the movie is aware of how preposterous he is being. Like, he's just like, the only problem was, I didn't know any single mothers. I didn't have any of their numbers. Where do they hang out?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if anything, it was the universe revealing the single mothers to him and him having to, you know, meet it halfway.
1: And his moments of change are really interesting too Because I think, so this movie is directed by um, Chris and Paul Weitz Who Oh yeah Did Just produce and write and direct a ton Like real kind of like jacks of all I mean they're famous for The American Pie series, aren't they? Oh yeah, that's right But Chris Weitz Has directed like the Golden Compass And he did the New Moon Twilight book and he co-wrote Rogue One with Tony Gilroy. Like, these guys are all over the place in terms of just, like, pop entertainment.
0: Right. He also wrote and directed, or just directed, that terrible-looking Operation Finale. Oh, yeah. About, like, the early uh, Mossad tracking down the Nazis with Ben Kingsley and Oscar Isaac.
1: I think this movie, though, without being, like, super annoying kind of knows that there is some sort of mental health diagnosis with Will because by the time you turn the corner into him like wanting to be with Rachel Weiss, whom he meets at a party, and you, so he has to kind of grow the lie anew um, without lying um, in his mind of like, oh yeah, I have this kid, Marcus, he can hang out with your son. It's the only interesting thing about me is that I hang out with this kid and some people mistake him for my son. But that scene of him trying to flirt with her at the party and him knowing that in five seconds, I'm gonna say I don't do anything and there's nothing about me. And her being like, yeah, you seem, you did seem really blank. Um, and part of that may just be that I love Rachel Weiss but I think she's good in this movie. And I think a scene like that kind of shows like, yeah, there's nothing going on in your life and there's kind of nothing going on behind the eyes. And we got to fix that man.
0: For sure. Did you ever watch the, uh, the show they made out of this in like 2014 to 15?
1: I did not, but again, not surprised there's a show. It could clearly cut up that way too.
0: Yeah. It's like I David Walton who was also on new girl a bit. Um, Did you see it? And Of course, mini driver.
1: Yeah, yeah, I watched it when it was
0: on. How was it? It was a a different time. Uh, It's basically the same conceit, uh, minus... I think it's not as funny when they're not British, if I'm being honest.
1: Oh, sure. I kind of like that the movie is so... Like, its structure is very kind of vignette-y, and you know if it tried to hold on to the one lie, like if this were, say, like, I don't know, like a Meet the Parents sequel or something. um, Sure. of, Of just, like will has to lie the whole time about like having a kid and then like 80 minutes in it blows up and people have to forgive him that movie would be very annoying but the fact that he gets caught kind of adjusts to this weird like new family thing and then it's like is there an ethical way for me to try to lie again to kick off the second half of the movie is i think um kind of freewheeling and pretty much works
0: that's such an interesting scene where he's sitting with Rachel Weiss and she's like, so I'm sorry, I don't quite follow, like, who that boy is to you. Right. And he goes, well, after literally chewing it over with a piece of bread for a minute, he goes, well, I never said that he was my son. You just thought he was. And it's like. He's like a defense attorney or something. He's not. I mean, a- admitting that you've been duped and the showing the way you did it like is not any justification for the fact that you did do it. Right. Like the cleverness of the scheme doesn't make any difference.
1: Mm-hmm. Um. Let's talk about Baby Holt.
0: Baby Holt's a little weird. It's a good thing that he grew up to be Adult Holt,
1: so he could just play authors in movies people don't see. Yeah, and the X-Man guy. Yeah, Holtz had a weird career. They made a Watership
0: Down miniseries? Isn't that the one about the rabbits? That's right. The um Rebel in the Rye. Was that the joke you were making?
1: Tolkien? Yeah, that he played Salinger and then he played Tolkien.
0: He was also pretty good uh, as a hood ornament in Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, what a lovely day.
1: I think it works, though, that he's like so strange and so earnest and like sort of the give and take between Marcus and Will is in the end is like how earnest can you afford to be? Right. Um, I like the ultimate end of the talent show where Will kind of loses himself in the moment and continues to play Killing Me Softly. And I'm not sure if it's like a, you know, a deep read like Mookie throws the trash can through the pizzeria window and do the right thing to avoid further loss of human life. Like, does he do it for Marcus to like bring it all onto himself? Um, Cause I don't think the movie really, I couldn't, I couldn't decide if that moment was what you're
0: saying right now or him not being satisfied with the amount of applause they got.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I almost thought he surveyed the audience was like, these people are not, but I think really what it is, is him martyring himself to be, that's the obnoxious person they'll remember forever, not the little boy.
1: Right. Which is a cute move. And as far as like, once you write yourself into the corner of having the movie end in a big musical number, like, I'm not sure I've seen that one before. It's pretty good.
0: This is a well-written script and like kind of a fun, if a little cringy, romantic comedy.
1: I liked it. I don't normally go for movies like this, but I was into this one.
0: I'm surprised by that. Maybe it's because like, it has a darkness to it that you can appreciate.
1: I think that might be it.
0: Reasons you can't uh, stand Fever Pitch, for example.
1: That's right. Do we want to let you rap about Fever Pitch for a little bit? A movie I refuse well, to what rewatch. what was it about
0: a boy? Is it good good?
1: Oh, uh, yes.
0: Good good. Yeah, Fever Pitch. Well, I had never seen this movie. And I've got to say, I just like needed a little baseball in my life as the Major League season has been postponed indefinitely at this point. Um, so I threw oh, on cry me the... a river.
1: The NBA season got halted right before the playoffs. You'll live. There'll be baseball by June. And you can still play 130 games or whatever.
0: <laughs> fever Pitch, uh, 2005 follows Lindsay, played by drew barrymore and ben played by the tonight show's jimmy fallon uh, as her career ambitions bump up against his fandom for the boston red sox and let me be clear i think it shows real moral character that i was able to not only stomach but in fact, enjoy a movie that is an extended commercial for the Boston Red Sox. In this rare moment of people coming together uh, to to show love and compassion for one another, I was able to, to watch and enjoy Fever Pitch, which was a nice sort of... It's one of those movies where you can tell they had involvement from the Boston Red Sox, so much so... That the, I don't think I've seen like baseball feel that real on screen, save for like uh, Netflix's set it up when they're at Yankee Stadium, which is great.
1: What about For Love of the Game, Noah?
0: Well, For Love of the Game is a fake game that they're playing. Mm -hmm. Like these are actual, this is the lead up to the Red Sox actually winning that World Series, which is like a nice story akin to like the Cubs winning a couple of years ago.
1: I think that this claim about realism in baseball is a real slap in the face to Billy Chappell, AKA Chappie from for love of the game. Oh my God.
0: No, I I got the reference. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Chappie. You just don't like Jimmy Fallon. So you're just going to like say negative. Why do you feel he's such like a false idol or something?
1: I don't hate him. It's just that I'd rather watch a movie that starred Eric Trump. That's
0: that's such a weird thing to say about about anyone <laughs> other than Donald Trump.
1: I no, I think that Jimmy Fallon is so full of shit and I can't look at him for 30 seconds without being like, you're so full of shit. And there were a couple,
0: the only thing that I thought was bad about this movie was the fact that it was directed by the Farrelly brothers. Because of course there like had to be a scene where like the best friend from Sex in the City is shaving uh, Jimmy Fallon's nutsack. Like, we didn't need that scene.
1: Like, why was that? That's in this?
0: Yeah. And their whole first date is, like, her throwing up, like, very bulbous-like. That's very fairly. Juliet Naked? Juliet Naked. I can't believe you wanted to watch Juliet Naked more than you wanted to watch Fever Pitch, because I got to tell you, Juliet Naked is one of the most boring movies I've ever seen.
1: Wow, that's quite a claim uh no we picked it because it's streaming on hulu which is like the thing that you care most about so it's strange that you're giving me shit about this
0: well it is for free on hulu that doesn't make it any better (laughs)
1: okay but that's why i picked it
0: (laughs) julia naked is the story of annie the long suffering girlfriend of duncan annie of course is played by rose byrne duncan chris o'dowd and her unlikely transatlantic romance with once revered, now faded singer songwriter Tucker Crow's autobiography, Tucker by Tucker Crow, <laughs> who also <laughs> happens to be the subject of Duncan's musical obsession. Tucker Crow is Ethan Hawke. That's right. You think it's weird that the, you think they, Ethan Hawke, Tucker Crow, it's like a little. Oh, I see. Two hard syllables and then like birds. And a bird,
1: yeah. Directed
0: by Jesse Peretz, who's done a lot of TV and some really bad movies.
1: And he's in the Lemonheads,
0: right? He is in the Lemonheads. Good call. But he's done Glow. People probably know him from Girls. He did basically all of those. Um, Divorce recently nurse jackie the office new girl wow, a lot of TV. all the good shit some pretty good tv a lot of tv oh and he did an
1: episode of high fidelity
0: nice good for That's him great. Good but for our him.
1: idiot brother not a good
0: movie and neither is um the X. have you seen that with bateman and zach braff and uh amanda pete that movie's terrible never even
1: heard of it but uh i'm not running out to see bateman braff movies I may look like a nice English lady in a sensible cardigan, but these days it's a thin veneer, and it's starting to crack.
0: Who wants to bring kids into this
1: bloody world? My point is, I just don't think that the world needs more kids. Wait, I think we get it. Tucker Crow, one of the most unsung figures of alternative
0: rock, hasn't been seen in 20 years. That's him. Wow, he's
1: so gorgeous. Thank you. I think I've had enough Tucker Bloody Crow to last 20 lifetimes.
0: Tucker has a new album. And I don't want to spend my time with someone who doesn't get it. Well, somebody new. Juliet Naked is a naked attempt to squeeze a few more quid out of a long dead career. You wrote this.
1: It was the strangest thing. I met someone on the internet. You're finally entering the modern age. You read that review I posted.
0: You nailed it. I couldn't have explained it better myself. Tucker Crow. Tucker
1: Crow, as in Duncan's idol, Tucker
0: Crow. Yeah, it's really me.
1: What's your story? So this movie, I'm surprised you came out and called it one of the most boring movies you've ever seen. I think it is a uh, charming and instantly very minor feeling, like high fidelity kind of epilogue. Um, it's updated to like, where would these sad people who like once had a glimmer of cool about them be in 2018? And the answer is like, Chris O'Dad would be in his basement um, leading this rabid, very, but very tiny legion of fans of Tucker Crow, just like passing around bootlegs, waiting to see if there's going to be new demos that come out. And Tucker Crow is like a. I was trying to put my finger on the comparison. Maybe like a... This is going to be dark. Jeff Buckley, if he had quit instead of died.
0: I was going to say Elliot Smith, if he'd quit and not stabbed himself in the heart.
1: You got... You You want it darker.
0: I want it darker. Yeah, but that kind of character. And I think it's funny that they play Mark Kozelik songs during this movie. It's like, oh, it could have been that guy too if he'd maybe stopped making so many fucking records. Right. People yeah, can take a minute to appreciate Bravo. the 900 live albums that he has.
1: Yeah, I mean, I listened to one Sun Kill Moon song, and it's was like, that was the whole record, right?
0: No, it was just the uh, opening nine-minute track one. It's almost like, if this movie's not made in 2005, like, why bother?
1: <laughs> That's well said.
0: Um like, there's there's a movie in which, like, if this movie were made 15 years earlier, Greg Kinnear would be the Chris O'Dowd character.
1: Well, I think, so this is funny you bring this up, because I think you're right, and I don't think it makes me like the movie less. I think one of the best things about it is how inessential the characters are and how kind of, like, it knows the things these people care about are now very, very inessential To the wider world Like I think Chris O'Dowd is like Taking it pretty easy in this movie And is sometimes fairly annoying But there's something pretty perfect About the way he Like narrates the video About Tucker Crow at the opening Like if you've ever watched like a, You know another weird subculture That I'm into is boxing So if you like watch like boxing super fans Like do these audio documentaries on YouTube They're like so smart And the amount of information at their fingertips is amazing but it doesn't make them good broadcasters and chris o'dowd kind of has a thing where he like he's overwritten the script and he's running over it his words and he's like after the dissolution of his brief tryst with julia resulting in the crushing of his soul um <laughs> it's just like <laughs> yeah when he reads the yeah, parenthetical don't things do the clause like that buddy
0: <laughs> and of course his his review at the end too is so f- Funny as well in that bittersweet Nick Hornby kind of way. This one to me, like, so we're focused on another man child again, two man children in Tucker Crow. Well, yeah, two man children. That's right. But instead of like having the camera sit with Tucker Crow in the first 10 or 15 minutes, it insists that Rose Byrne is the protagonist of this movie. And then of course it strips her of like any sort of Bechdel test, passing uh character traits because she just becomes this sort of object between chris o'dowd and ethan Hawke, and maybe i want to have a baby and it's like it's just not that compelling of a character early on i mean i just don't think nick hornby's that great at writing nuanced women if we're being honest
1: i think that's fair and i'm in total agreement this movie does a bad job of balancing the love triangle
0: It's just not interesting because, like, she never has the moment where she really, like, chooses her ending or, like, has some agency in the matter. It kind of just resolves for her about these guys, like, having this pissing contest back and forth about, like, who's better, the genius songwriter who gave it up? Was it better to burn out or fade away? Right. Or is it better to be the douchey appreciator of the thing?
1: I think the best scene in the movie is where the Rose Byrne character decides the way to really get at the throat of the Chris O'Dowd character is to leave a bad review of the new Tucker Crow demos on the site, and she's just at the table watching him like read the fact that like she said it was listless and like all of this like rock critic mumbo jumbo. Like there's a great bit of like superficial like fun and moodiness there um but again yeah you step back and you're like okay so what's the deeper like read on any of these characters like she's a 40 year old who like wants to move to london and start her life over like that's not interesting chris o'dowd is a cheater who i ultimately just like don't like and the tucker crow character there's not a real like subversion there of him being like he is pretty cool cause like he's not pretty cool and he's just kind of a sad guy
0: you have to buy into the fact that well that's kind of the conversation we're all having now when we like find out that our favorite artists of one kind or another turn out to be like scumbags yeah and it's like well you have to buy into the notion at least that the art was somehow worth it but if you take the context away from the art of Tucker Crow, right then like he's just a douchey guy who had like six kids by like six different people and abandoned all of them, save for his
1: most recent son. I don't think Ethan Hawk is bad in this movie. Um No. I think he's pretty good. I think there are like subtle moments in the script, like when he drops his daughter off at the bus, like he hasn't he's well, he's hasn't seen her since she's nine, right? And then he puts right, her back in the back. He doesn't quite bus. recognize her, yeah. Oh, he says, "Hey, Lizzie, thank you for coming. I wish it was more fun." Is like a real for a second there. I think there's like a glimmer in the script of like, "Oh, is this a guy who, if even if his all his guitar calluses are gone, he can kind of like cut to the core and sort of like a wordsmithy situation of like, what is the truth of that scene?" And Ethan Hawke is always an actor who will talk on your podcast about like. I looked for the truth of the scene. And I think sometimes in, again, minor ways, he finds it in this movie. There's just not, there are no depths beyond.
0: Yeah, he's not, I mean, in this picaresque, he's not sympathetic. It's just episode after episode of Rose Byrne witnessing him be shitty. Like, I think the culmination being the hospital scene. That's a bad scene. Where like, of course- it's a terrible scene and of course like the idea of him having a heart attack on the way to see his daughter give birth like is such a sort of narrative cop out because it doesn't fulfill that like oh he always finds a reason not to be there kind of thing it's like right. he had a fucking heart attack like what do you what do you expect and then to have people showing up thinking he was dying is such a strange Thing too and everyone seems to hate him rightfully so and then Rose Byrne leaves but then she immediately comes back once he says hey come back
1: right <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah it's very odd and very sort of predictable in that like rom-commy kind of well they're gonna end up together
1: mm-hmm. but then we but is can't it even really do that. But fair to criticize
0: a formerly great artist for his latter day not that interesting female protagonist led novel slash movie
1: let me ask you this do we think the kid from marriage story who plays the son in this movie oh yeah is gonna grow up to be a nicholas hole type uh i mean this kid's
0: eyebrows didn't seem like they were gonna like lift him off and fly him away so maybe he won't hit the stratosphere i'll stay on the ground i don't know that kid lives on streaming though it's unclear what to say that well streaming will do to our our youth
1: I also think so. The movie is, of course, building toward like at some point, Tucker Crow's gotta pick up a musical instrument, right?
0: Fuck yeah. You Absolutely. Gotta
1: hear the song. And I could see subverting that too, right? I mean, it could be a situation where like he's not very good and the song's not very good and that could mean something. But the movie then kind of dials it right down the middle in a boring way by having him cover Waterloo Sunset. I was just in this train station. Yeah, we well, you know thing. what I felt was so annoying about this scene, and I can't believe. I wonder, like, what you know, Hornby, sort of like a music OCD person, would think of it. But the, so the theme of the party is like summer of nineteen sixty-four, and like all these people who were like twenty on the beach in the early sixties, right? Yeah. And then Tucker Crow is like telling this crowd of people, like, I didn't write this song. This is Waterloo Sunset, and it's like I think these fucking people who were hanging out. Like in England in 1964, know the Kinks most famous song, Tucker.
0: Yeah, for sure. What are you
1: doing? Chance, I think this movie's
0: bad bad.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um after talking with you I I didn't mind watching it. Like I like I like all these actors. It's very short, it's very light. There's nothing to it. I'll probably give it a bad good, but I I I tipped my cap to the fact that I was gonna come in and be like this is pretty all right, and then like once we got talking about it, like most of the stuff, most of the deeper things about this movie are not good. Yeah, there's very like little
0: conflict for a movie about people so unhappy with their lives, um, and it doesn't quite have that like Alexander Payne. I mean, even though Jim Taylor was one of the co-writers on this, it doesn't have that like anger towards the world and like showing people are kind of like kind of fucked up.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Like that's what's what could have been more interesting here is to like make Chris O'Dowd's obsession with this guy, like maybe a little bit darker. Sure. Why not? Yeah. And make maybe the reason that he stopped making music a little bit darker Sure. I'm going to do it. Instead of like putting the baby safely in the sink, like maybe something shitty happened to the baby and like the baby was fine, but like not at first. I just don't think the idea of where'd you go? Acoustic singer songwriter, man, is that compelling of (laughs) like anything. Sure. Like where'd you go? Artist without it being a true story because you don't get a sense of the weight of the work that he put out and by all accounts, like this guy's not, he's number 43 or something on the Rolling Stones' best sad albums or whatever, <laughs> best heartbreak albums. Like, he's, he's not a
1: name, he's not a name person. Yeah, you're right. It's one of those bridges. I was thinking about like searching for Sugar Man as this was coming on. And I was like, yeah, I well, was searching for Sugarman. Man is interesting because like that guy's real and we don't know if he's going to be there at the end of the movie. And this one's like, this is a fake guy with signifiers for his thing. I'd
0: like to see what's that one with Sean Penn where he's like the former the gunman? Not the gunman. <laughs> uh, Interpreter. No, the one where he's the like big like he's the Gene Simmons like big hair and makeup guy. This must be the place.
1: Oh. No, I've do you never seen about I do, I've never seen that. I remember seeing the- Cheyenne,
0: a re- retired rock star living off his royalties in Dublin, returns to New York City to find the man responsible for humiliation suffered by his recently deceased father during World War II. What <laughs> From the director of the New Pope.
1: I mean, I listen, I like rock music writ large, but yeah, this is just a very fucking inessential thing when a you know, kind of a faded movie star is like, I'm gonna do like a fictional, like rock and roll story about someone who never quite made it, unlike me, of course. It's like, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna make a very inessential movie. Have I speaking of Sean Penn and we have to go, have I told you my the Mystic River joke that I've come to make about July My Terrier? Uh no uh mr griver fine fine movie perhaps a little overrated at one point is that my daughter this is the joke whenever july is in the bedroom with sarah and she's sort of like scratching to get out i go is that my doggy in there
0: (laughs) well the daughter's name is sarah so that's like even funnier oh it's
1: fucked up is sarah in there (laughs) is that my daughter this was fun
0: yeah, I'm looking forward to watching the Hulu series High Fidelity and seeing how they adapted that book slash, spoiler alert, maybe a lot of references from the movie.
1: Yes. How much have you watched?
0: I've watched the whole thing. Oh, I'll you have? I'll watch it again. For you, buddy. For you.
1: It's pretty good. I'll see you, buddy. I believe when I fall in love with you, it will be far.